0: We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter.
2: Good afternoon, this is Carmen Nazario, your host today. Josh is not here today. It's a beautiful day here in Portland, Oregon, and I'm excited uh, to do the podcast today. We are going to be talking to Michael Husband. Michael is the uh, founder of Desert Pirate Productions. Hello, Michael. How are you today?
0: Great, how are
2: you? I'm doing great. Welcome to our show. So, Michael, we uh, always like to start our show finding out a little bit about you, where you're from, where you grew up, what took you into the military. So, uh, yeah, start us off and and give us your journey into the military.
1: Uh, So, I'm a West Texas kid through and through. Um, Was born and raised in a... And the oil patch of odessa texas and then went to school at texas tech um red raider and uh after four years of college and majoring psychology i decided it's time to see the world uh so uh, i joined ended up joining the navy went through officer candidate school um, as a surface warfare officer uh was is my designator um and have traveled all over the world so uh Major in psychology, the Navy turned me into an engineer, and I've uh, been on minesweepers, destroyers, uh, littoral combat ships, Coastal or marine squadrons, and actually still serve um, in the reserves uh, on the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff.
2: Oh wow! So, um, so the main driver was to see the world, then, right?
1: Well, see see the world, and you know, be part of something bigger than myself.
2: Awesome. Now, what year did you go into the military?
1: Uh, I joined uh, in uh, June of
2: 1999.
1: Okay. So almost 20 years now.
2: Okay. So so you, you're, because you're still in then, right? I am. Uh, I
1: am in the reserves.
2: So were you uh, deployed to, um, to combat areas um, on the naval ship?
1: Uh, on the Minesweeper and Destroyer, no. Uh, it's been a long time since there's been any uh, at sea conflicts except for launching Tomahawks um, into certain countries. But, um, you know, I was, after I did six years of active duty, I joined the reserves. And two years after that, um, I was recalled back to Afghanistan for a year as a OIC of a police mentor team.
2: Okay, so so how long did you serve in the Navy then um, before you went into the reserves?
1: Six years.
2: Six years, mm-hmm. and then um, so six years in in the reserves, and then you get out. I mean, in the active duty, you get out. What do you do um, after you get out?
1: Well, um, naturally, at whenever you. Get off active duty, you have to find a real job. So I turned. In, I was a uh, government contractor for quite a few years. Worked with some really amazing companies. My first company uh, that I was uh, a contractor with was a uh, a think tank called Systems Planning and Analysis. Uh, we did a lot of work with uh, the Navy, uh, all their operations analysis, and helping them to figure out what to buy what the right requirements are and, um, you know, help them plan out their you know the procurement strategy toward, you know, future procurements, you know, 10, 15, 20 years in the future. So, uh, learned a lot, great company, um, then moved to another smaller company, uh, learned a lot there and, uh, matriculated into, um, actually, a a company that's close to, uh, where you are, um, I became vice president of a startup uh, underneath the Cambia Health uh, umbrella uh, that worked with uh, physical fitness for geographically dispersed uh, service members and populations, Um, then was recalled again back to uh, active duty uh, as a commander on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And uh, while I was there, the family ended up moving down to Austin. So we moved down here about a year and a half ago.
2: Okay, you've taken you've taken us through a lot there. So you were in the systems planning and analysis company for uh, quite a while, or how long? Yeah, about
1: five, uh, four or five years. Um, then moved to another company, um, which is typical in in the Beltway. Um, you know, folks move from one company to another. Um, probably, I'd say almost every three or four years. Um, it's a common trend. Um, a lot of a lot of the, uh, a lot of companies are very flat um, with regards to upward promotion. So you have to move out uh, to move up. Um, yeah, it's kind of standard, almost industry practice in, in Washington D.C.
2: Oh, okay. So, so the first company was in Washington D.C. The um, mm-hmm. contractor, yep. yeah, that was quite amazing. You said they would do um, procurement strategy for twenty years out. On purchasing, that's quite amazing, right? Um, well,
1: they they have, we have to know what predict what the threats are, and then uh, determine what your capabilities have to be. Then the government has to invest dollars to develop those capabilities. So nothing happens overnight, and, and that takes, takes time.
2: The, yeah, yep, that
1: research and development takes time.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then uh, the second company was. Um, let's see. Uh, uh,
1: PAI. I think I was there for about three years or so, four years maybe.
2: And that was in Washington, D.C. as well?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we, we were in Washington, D.C. for about 12 years total after I got off active duty. That's where I landed.
2: Uh, and uh, yeah, most of the defense uh, companies are out there or at least headquartered out there and what what did you do and learn at PAI?
1: So we supported um, uh, the uh, Navy Expeditionary Programs Office um, and they do all the procurement um, (coughs) for the Navy Expeditionary Community. Uh, So We've worked specifically, so uh, think think of like CBs, um, you know, the Navy construction battalions, think of um, riverine squadrons, think of SEALs, they're expeditionary. Um, and so they have a different procurement arm than what you would see for a destroyer, uh, which is na- underneath naf C because it's a fundamentally different system. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't need a... a a ship engineer to be buying uh, horizontal construction equipment like dozers, graders, and, you know, scrapers, excavators, stuff like that. You want construction people to do that. So we ran all the procurement uh, for all the expeditionary community.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's uh, something expeditionary community. That's a new New terminology for me. Um, so, um, so that was you were there also like for a few years then, and then you moved on to uh, Cambia Health.
1: Well, um, I did uh, about a year and a half with a uh, CACI, khaki, um, working with the Littoral Combat Ship um, Program Office, and then I had the opportunity to uh, to go work with something I'm passionate about, physical fitness, and and uh, taking care of people um, at Cambia Health Solutions. And I took that opportunity to, to, to move on out of the Department of Defense uh, contracting world.
2: And that's when you left D.C., when you took on Cambia Health or when you went to Kaki?
1: No, so um, Kaki was, we, was a, a government contractor as well. Um, Cambia let me stay in Washington, D.C. with the family and I would commute out you know, maybe once or twice a month to uh, Portland. So it was a long commute, but we did a lot of business development inside the Beltway, um, as well as up and down the eastern seaboard.
2: So you're acquainted with uh, Portland, Oregon. So, I am. So so in that role at Cambia, you said you're passionate about physical fitness. And uh, what were you doing uh, at Cambia?
1: so uh i was vice president of a, of a startup that was called basefit um uh, we worked with uh, geographically dispersed populations so uh people that are on the road a lot um i think of truckers flight attendants pilots um you know they have to sit down a lot but they have physical fitness requirements um just like reservists do um they have physical fitness requirements that they have to meet. So our ultimate goal was to help keep them in shape and be able to track them, you know, no matter where they were. So we would leverage uh, technology and we partnered with a company called TRX out of uh, San Francisco. They make those big yellow straps that, that people work out with. They're portable and uh, easily to, to take with you to a hotel room or on the back of a big rig or whatever you like. Um, a great concept. Um, it's just a cha- very challenging trade space.
2: It's a very challenging, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. What kind of space? It's a, it,
1: it's a very challenging trade space to be in. Um, you know, there's there's lots of lip service paid to uh, what health really is mm-hmm. um, without actually seeing change. So,
2: right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I you know, I just got back from uh, a flight. Um, I was overseas, actually. I was in Puerto Rico, and um, on the way down there, I missed my flight, so I ended up being 26 hours um, traveling, and, you know, it did get me to thinking, wow, these people are always on the plane, and um, because... Physically, it's very hard on you traveling, and so I started really thinking about on the way back uh, about these pilots and the flight attendants. And here you mentioned that they have requirements um, in terms of physical fitness, and I guess um, the the do the airlines um, track that um, um, their physical fitness programs?
1: Uh, every. I'd say every pilot has to pass a physical, you know, examination. Um, but, uh, again, the last person you want to have a heart attack, have to have a heart attack is your pilot, right? So um, while they're in flight. So it's important. And I think many of the airlines are taking that to heart, literally and figuratively, um, the, the care and well-being of their pilots. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was an opportunity that we're trying to go after. Um, but in many aspects, uh, lots of large industries rely on their healthcare companies to, to, uh, what we would call spread peanut butter, where they, they buy a $15 a month gym membership,
2: mm-hmm. um, which no
1: one really ever uses. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're working on those hard metrics where the, you can actually hold people accountable for their physical fitness.
2: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, that is uh, a different type of uh, perspective. Um, so, so you were working for Cambia for quite a while, or
1: I was there for um, almost two years, and that's when I got recalled back to active duty um, on the Joint Chiefs of Staff.
2: Oh, what did you do in that role?
1: Uh, so uh, we did all the plans and operations uh, down in the basement of the Pentagon.
2: Wow. Sounds so, secretive.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, getting down there. It's almost like watching Get Smart.
2: Oh, wow. That the, was... the introduction
1: to Get Smart, where they go through door after door after door. The only thing they were missing was a cone of silence.
2: Mm, that sounds like interesting work. Was it interesting work?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, some of the smartest people I've ever worked with or had the pleasure of knowing are actually down in the basement of the Pentagon. Um, they're making the hard decisions. They're doing all the strategic planning um, and developments, the plans and appreciation for, you know, what's actually going on, on the ground. Um, and their dedication is absolutely astounding. I've never been more impressed um, and thankful for the people I worked with.
2: Oh, that just sounds wonderful. We're going to take a quick break, Michael, and we'll be right back to hear more about your story. Yep.
0: CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio.
2: So, for those of you tuning in, we're back with Michael Husband, the founder of Desert Pirate Productions. So, Michael, we were talking about uh, your role in the um, Joint Chief of Staff, right? Come in. Uh And um, you, you were talking about you work with some of the smartest people you've ever known. What kinds of things did you learn from these folks?
1: Um, yeah, you know, is, is more about, um, elevating your strategic thinking and your strategic approach to problems. Um, you know, coming from a very tactical, um, background, seeing the, the strategy behind how they, how they think and how they plan was absolutely awe-inspiring. So being able to see the, no kidding, the forest through the trees was, was impressive um and their their efficiency and their ability to make decisions off of refined information mm-hmm. um, suppress it
2: wow that's um that's a tremendous opportunity um, I would have loved it <laughs> so um so how long did you uh, were you in this role for?
1: so i uh, I was on uh, recalled back to active duty for it was about nine months, and I'm still actually serving on the Joint Chiefs of Staff.
2: Oh, you are! That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, but you're serving as a reservist, right?
1: Correct. And so, right.
2: And so, how does that work?
1: Well, um, everyone likes to think it you know the reserves and the National Guard is one week a month, two weeks a year. Um, the more senior you get, the more you do um, outside of that perspective um so it's you know it's maybe five or six phone calls a week um an hour or two a day depending on how busy um the command is um and that's on a light scale so other commands um like uh, littoral combat ship reserve communities and various other um combat commands they're a lot more busy than i am right now uh, so I, I I'm glad to be on the Joint Chiefs of Staff so I can focus on you know life and family and and whatnot and and my company, but uh, it's it, the reserves are a lot more demanding than what I think people have appreciation for.
2: Mm. Yeah. I I always thought it was like one weekend a month, but that's not the case. Then.
1: No. It it is absolutely not just one weekend a month. It's uh, quite a bit more.
2: Hmm. And then what is um, um, what is your um, uh, rank right now?
1: So I'm a commander. I was just selected for uh, captain.
2: Oh, okay. So you're quite senior then, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's, that's awesome. So then um, as you, you know, uh, you're... You're working for the Joint Chief of Staff, but then what happened after, you know, did you start your business sometime after that?
1: Right. Um, So, when uh, we moved the family down to Austin from uh, Washington, D.C., after my wife uh, had an opportunity down here that she, you know, couldn't pass up, so it's great getting back to Texas, um, change of pace, and we took the opportunity for me to start up a couple of companies. Um, first one was kind of getting back to what I knew in Department of Defense contracting. Uh, but shortly after we started uh, that company, we had an opportunity to enter into the film and TV trade space, um, developing content and uh, telling a good story. And it's been moving um, like light speed right now.
2: Wow. So take us through that journey. First, the first company, are you still uh involved in the first company, or is that pretty much uh, shut down since you started the- No, uh,
1: it, it's, it's, we're involved and we, we see, we look for opportunities to, uh, to put into uh, that company, Source to Force Innovation. Uh, but, um, you know, I have some, some of the folks on my advisory board helping uh, to take a look at opportunities and we'll engage on partnerships and teaming uh, with other companies whenever opportunities arrive. But it hasn't been our primary focus. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of a lot more opportunity in the film and TV trade space. So I've been probably uh, ninety percent of my time is focused on uh, Desert Pirate Productions.
2: Okay, so, uh, so you know, that's uh, uh, it's not your background, but then you got involved in it. Give me that story. What uh, took you into that space?
1: <coughs> well, uh, uh, I've probably told this about a million times because I get asked that question a, a lot. lot. Uh, uh, about if, and if you would have told me a year ago that I would be, uh, uh, you know, a producer uh, and have a TV show that's TV series that's optioned and a bunch of other stuff in in, in production, I would have said you're. Your high is a kite. <laughs> um, but um, you know, about a year, um, a little over a year ago, some of my former interpreters in Afghanistan um, gave me a call. And uh, one of them had a family member that was uh, working as an interpreter. Um, and his family was being targeted by the Taliban, um, because he was an interpreter.
0: Hmm.
1: And they, they called me and asked me if I could help uh, figure out a way to, um, expedite, uh, their transition out of Afghanistan to somewhere safe. And, uh, I said, I'll make phone, I'm happy to make phone calls. I can't guarantee anything, but, um, it really made me think hard about, you know what, it's, this is insane. Why, why aren't we doing better, um, taking care of the, uh, the folks that are enabling us to do our job downrange because if we didn't have interpreters we couldn't do what we're supposed to do
2: you couldn't do the job um, yeah
1: exactly and a good friend of mine um uh doug fife he was under secretary of defense uh during um the second bush administration um he, he i got a chance to talk to him about it and he's like mike you know what um there is a story there that absolutely needs to be told. So uh, I started thinking about it. And a couple of weeks after um, my interpreters called me, uh, I was at a uh, philanthropy event called the Nobility Project with, with my wife. And one of the guys sitting across the table from us was um, uh, a producer, director, actor, um, just getting his start really in Austin. And I said, Hey, what do you think about this idea? about um you know what it's like to be stuck in the middle in afghanistan and uh he loved it um said let's continue talking um and uh you know i reached out to a a friend of mine back in dc who put me in touch with a financer um who i didn't have any material he said and i just told him what my idea was um and uh he's like mike i I absolutely love that idea i'm working with a producer out in la out in la um i have two other things currently in the hopper i want this to be my third um and i want to help you make it
2: wow um
1: we've been we we went up i I went up to new york um met with him and had a heart-to-heart said listen you know i've heard all the bad things about hollywood um and this process um and uh i I said listen i can go do other things um i don't I, i believe in small circles of trust um and i prefer keeping things in small circles of trust he's like mike i absolutely agree with you on that and i whenever we flew out to la to meet with the producer out there um i told the president of that company the same thing and he's like mike absolutely small circles of trust are important and so I've been really pleased with uh, um, how things have gone and the fact that we're able to make headway with good stories. You know, good characters with character um, are really what we're aiming for.
2: That's amazing. Michael, this is a good time to, I want to hear more about it, but let's take a, another quick break and we'll be back uh, to hear more about uh, your production company. Okay. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this. Press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. So we're back with Michael Husband, the founder of Desert Pie Productions, and we are just talking about how he founded his uh, production company. So, what year did you did you start this company, Michael?
1: I started it last uh, June.
2: Wow. So um, And so since June, what types of productions uh, have you made? First, the one that you were talking about a little bit ago, um, you wanted to tell the story of how these former interpreters from Afghanistan were being targeted by the Taliban, right?
1: Well, it's, it's not just that. It's, it's more about what it's like to be stuck in the middle. Um, okay. And, and uh, life in Afghanistan is really what we're going after. So, um, how do we tell that story? Right? How do we? How do we know what we're doing well? Um, you know, and, and I, I can't really delve into it because we're still in pre-production. But um, there's there's a lot of good content uh, that talks about what the real world is in Afghanistan. Um, that you don't typically get from a typical war war TV show or war movie. Um, it's more about the people um, and less about the military action.
2: Okay, so so you say you're stuck? Uh, you're I mean not stuck, but you are in pre-production. So mm-hmm. when um, is that um, project scheduled to be released?
1: So pre-production means that we we've wrapped up. Uh, uh, you know, writing the script, the treatment, um, and the Bible for it. And, uh, we're attaching uh, directors, uh, and other talent. And then once it gets sold to a network, then we'll actually be able to do the pilot and, you know, start shooting the series. So it could take a little time. Um, but you know, we've, everyone has told us that it typically takes people five years to get to this point. So we've done it in less than a year
2: um that's, that's amazing um, so so then your plan is for this to be a series and uh, meaning there's a lot of stories you'll be telling about those who are sort of stuck in the middle is that correct
1: yeah um, so going back to you know my experience and um you know, whenever I started thinking about what this thing would look like, I sat down and started writing vignettes about what I saw in Afghanistan. And I would encourage, you know, other veterans um, that have been overseas uh, or have just served in general to start writing down what they're unique, what what things that they saw that were unique, um, because guaranteed, you have some interesting kids or your family uh, will want to read about it whenever you're old or gone. They're going to mm-hmm. want to know how you lived and how you served, um, because it's, it's important. Um, so I, it, it's really cathartic as well. Right. So you're, mm-hmm. you're going back, you're remembering everything and the, the, in the Navy, we call them stupid sailor tricks, but you remember all those things, um, that happened and you're like, wow. Um, I actually lived through that. That's absolutely insane. Um, so can, uh, can you share a little <laughs>
2: tidbit on on something unique and and just like um uh, yeah yeah go ahead
1: i mean we it, in Afghanistan, our command sergeant major had a um had a we had a fob monkey like we actually had a monkey that loved our command sergeant major like she would pick she would hop on his shoulder and she was a mean monkey um she would hiss and (laughs) run after everyone else, but she loved our command sergeant major. She would hop on his shoulder and just, she would groom him like a monkey would do to another monkey. I swear they must've been related. But, um, it was, it was a unique, you know, something you would never imagine that you would actually see. Um, you know, you, you get a perspective on just the lives of, um, what it's like to be an Afghan. Um, you know, there's lots of really good people over there just trying to survive. Um, and ultimately, you know, they've, they've had to endure a lot going back to when Russia, um, deforested a lot, a large portion of the country and then drove out, you know, the vast majority of educated people or killed them. Um, you know, we're still having the fallout from what Russia did, you know, almost thirty years ago.
2: Hm. Yeah, they've they've just had a lot of hardship and impression. So um so where would you find like uh your sergeant major where would he find this monkey? Now you were actually um
1: yeah, that that monkey was there when I got there. Uh, oh. <laughs>
2: so, so maybe uh, a good
1: I, I think I think what happened was um, I think he got adopted by the command sergeant major because the some British outfit had him before um, oh. because anytime he saw a British uniform, this the monkey literally went apesh, you know.
2: Mm. So. <laughs> good, a good little mascot. That that could be a funny story to tell. Um, So um, that definitely is unique. Um, So that's going to be... I'm going to be looking forward to um, these productions when they come out. Um, Yeah, I
1: mean, we we have a lot of stuff that's uh, up on our slate. Um, uh, I can't talk about it all because, again, pre-production, we got um, a lot of NDAs out there. So um, what I would say is look us up um, from time to time on IMDB uh, about, you know, looking up desert pirate while we're involved with uh, who we're partnered with um, and uh, go from there. There we're, we're, we're working again, we're working to create content uh, that has characters with good character because fundamentally in many aspects um, there's lots of, social narratives out there that are, are, I wouldn't say are mainstream anymore. So we're trying to get back to what are good core values. How can we tell a story about someone or an event um, that really is more compelling than overly dramatic?
2: Oh, yes. I love it. So what other types of projects are you doing uh, through Desert Pirate Production? So um, uh,
1: uh, episodics, we have a couple of feature films. Um, was, uh, actually out on, uh, um, just learning and honing, honing my skills and understanding what the production process is. Got to go see an amazing, um, there's a, a, episodic TV show that's being filmed here in Austin. Um, got to go out on set last week, um, and see how they actually operate. Um, the professionalism actually on the, on the shoot is astounding, um, and their timeliness, um, in this industry, I'm learning really quick that, uh, you can't monkey around when you're actually in a shoot, you got to be on time professional. It's really, um, run mechanically like a, a, a military operation. So you got your director, you have your, um, who is running the shoot, and then you have your AD who is coordinating everything. He's making those trains run on. He is making those trains run on time.
2: So um, this episodic TV show. Can you give us the name on that or?
1: Uh, I can't. Oh, I had you to can't. It. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sorry. No, um, no, that's okay. That's understandable.
2: Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I just wondered um, you know, when you talk about it, it just sounds like a great show uh, it's, to it's, watch. It, and- it,
1: it, it, it's a great show. Um, uh, it's, I mean, this every, it, it's a huge show um, that's being filmed here in Austin if people looked it up online they could probably figure out what it was
2: okay but, that's a good um, clue for the audience yeah, yeah. yeah. so it, this is quite just amazing because the the film industry is so competitive and it's really hard to penetrate into it and the fact that you were able to do that so quickly and you know you're in pre-production mode in less than a year is really outstanding and, uh, you know, you mentioned how you're able to bring your military skills, utilize that in terms of uh, the industry and the way it works. Um, so, uh, yeah, and that can, you know, that kind of leads us into one of the questions we typically ask here. So being in the military, we always ask our um um the our entrepreneurs what what was uh, some of the things that the, they came back out with that really helped them you know to go in, in to do be an entrepreneur or even if they didn't if they didn't go into uh, doing entrepreneurship we've interviewed some who've just started nonprofit organizations what can you what can you tell us that are some of the biggest things that you learn and and I know if you've already talked about uh, a few, but uh, but some of the most important aspects that you just drew upon to you know help you uh, even start this new uh, enterprise, the desert pirate productions?
1: So um, well, just starting the company is, in Texas, um, if you're a veteran, it's super easy to start a company. It's Texas is a fantastic veteran-friendly state. Um, they're an entrepreneurial state, um, and they want to help businesses. So, um, and fundamentally, I think there's a reason why so many companies are fleeing you know, high-tax states um, that are um, invasive uh, in companies um, to a fault. So. Coming to Texas and starting up a veteran-owned small business, service-disabled veteran-owned small business, um, is super easy and it's absolutely free. Um, uh, it, it just comes down to what are your passions? Uh, what do you think you can do? Um, and uh, ultimately, I think you have to get to quick yeses and quick noes in any trade space. Um, and my approach fundamentally, and the entertainment trade space isn't art first it's business first um can i can i make something can i make a project profitable um, while also telling a good story Mm -hmm. um and i have i have zero desire to be a starving artist yes so getting getting to that point um and really understanding uh the ins and outs of and the years of experience as a Department of Defense contractor kind of trained me to be very methodical in approaches um, and look at the the money first um, and then be pragmatic on how you engage your time.
2: Yeah, that's uh, well said, because if you're in business and you're not making a profit, you're not really <laughs> in business.
1: Exactly. and I'm, I'm sure you see that from, from your company as well right um there so some of the things that we have done though is for um like our primary uh uh, for the episodic that we currently have uh you know i started up uh 501c3 to go along with it um and i think you know this is our first go um i think on you know it might be part of our core mission going forward um, whenever we come up with something that we think is going to be um, uh, a solid uh, opportunity that can turn uh, revenue, um, I think it's uh, a good idea to really look at um, how can we make a difference with what we're producing. You know, maybe it's an opportunity to start up a, a nonprofit based off whatever you know the topic that we're trying to address is, um, and that, or the, or the themes of that. TV show or that movie, um, it might be an opportunity for us to make a difference um, socially and, uh, and philanthropically by, you know, standing up a, a nonprofit that can launch on its own and be self, you know, self-sustainable.
2: And then it would be for the purposes of um, assisting in in terms of the stories your your.
1: No, it, 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 it would be, uh, you know, the, the 501C3 that we started, um, that's kind of in alignment with the episodic that we have, um, mm-hmm. is designed to um, support, you know, and I don't want to spill the beans on everything, it's designed to support, um, you know, the whole point of the TV show,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, not to support the TV show, but to help the people that we're telling the story about
2: right and that's um, what I, so, I i wanted yeah. to uh to iterate uh, i mean i kind of understood it that way but i'm glad you you expanded on that yeah that's uh that is a great idea definitely
1: and it, the thing that fundamentally in this trade space uh, i want to do is i want to change the narrative on veterans um and i say that because whenever i first came into the trade space and I was talking with my co-writing partner and I said, when I say the word veteran, post 9-11 veteran, what do you think? What's the first thing that pops into your head? And uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Tell me what you think the first thing he said was. Uh,
2: You're asking me?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm asking you, what Uh, do you think? What do you think the first thing he said was?
2: Um, I'm not sure, but did he say hero?
1: No, no, it was not hero. Uh, it was PTSD.
2: PTSD.
1: And it was um, damaged person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, fundamentally, I, I, I fundamentally believe that there are there there is a lot of PTSD out there, but I do not approve of nor condone the the stigma that. Many people in, in the United States portray veterans. were not victims. Outside of marrying my wife,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the best thing I've ever done was join the Navy. I've met more amazing people and done more amazing things and have been part of something bigger um, than myself and have improved myself um, by joining the Navy. And I think the vast majority of veterans would say the same thing. You're the right.
2: You're absolutely right. Um, We actually asked that question, and you've brought it up. And nobody that we've interviewed ever regretted joining the military, regardless of their experience, regardless of whether they came back with PTSD.
1: Right. Um, And ultimately, like I said, we want to change that narrative, um, and we want to give veterans the opportunity to tell the right story. Um, and to take leadership roles in the film and TV trade space.
2: That's uh, that's wonderful. Uh, so let me take a, another quick break, Michael, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll go on to uh, finish your uh, your story, and uh, we'll be right back. Mm-hmm.
0: Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or, better yet, call them at 833-861-8100. And use promo code Startup Ruby.
2: So we're back with Michael Husband, the founder of Desert Pirate Productions. And, Michael, you're sharing on your goal to change the narrative on veterans. Um, And uh, this is quite interesting. um, When you asked me, what is the first thing I think about um, when on a veteran? And then you said you also asked your, your producer, right?
1: He's not a veteran. Uh, my my writing partner.
2: Your right? writing partner is he a, a veteran himself?
1: No, no, he's not.
2: Okay, and he said the first thing that comes to mind is PTSD, right. and and you are out there to change the world on uh, the veterans' perspective. Uh, so that's uh, a really wonderful goal. Um, I definitely. Like to hear that, and so um, so you're going to use this venue to to accomplish that. I'm I'm sure it's going to be very successful. Um, well, go
1: absolutely, ahead. Absolutely, we hope so.
2: And so right now, so you've got um, it's your company, but then you have producers and directors, and and then uh, apparently uh, some good. Um, uh, people that are helping you towards your goal
1: absolutely small circles of trust um and uh telling a good story um and being timely uh, as as Mattis would say um be polite be professional but have a plan to kill everyone in the room when you translate that to business it's be polite be professional but have a plan to execute your mission so um that's that's how we operate um if okay, we're not, so if, be, if we're not, go ahead.
2: Say that again. Be polite. Be.
1: be. So James Mattis, former secretary of defense, um, uh, amazing guy. Um, his, his, one of his catchphrases was be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill everyone in the room. Um, when you translate that to business, it's be, be polite, be professional, but have a plan to execute um, your, your plan be able to execute your plan. Um and that's how we approach, you know, business opportunities. You know, uh if you're not five minutes late or if you're not five minutes early, you're late. Um whereas in, in many aspects in, in Hollywood, um, it's the last person to the room is the most important. No, decisions still get made without you. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so being courteous of people's time and considerate is is an important skill set. Um so it's part of the mentality I want to bring to the trade space and uh, you know I think you know veterans are there's growing veterans in, in the film industry and if, if is it possible for me to give a, a give a quick shout out to a veteran organization?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes All right, All right. so um, uh, veterans and media entertainment um, is a fantastic um, uh, venue for folks that are veterans that are merging into the entertainment trade space. Um, and it doesn't matter if they're gamers you know, musicians, you know, a key grip, a writer, a director, an actor, um, take a look at what they have online. VME, Um, um you know, they provide opportunities for, you know, veterans and they have strategic partnerships with lots of, uh, companies in Hollywood and New York and Atlanta and DC, Um, And we're looking at starting a chapter here in Austin, Texas. So um, they provide opportunities based off their connections for veterans to find jobs um, in the entertainment trade space.
2: So it's called vme.connect.com. Correct. Okay, I'm going to check that Uh, out myself. Sorry, uh,
1: vme-connect.com.
2: Say that again, Michael.
1: V-M-E. Mm-hmm. dash or hyphen connect.com
2: okay. okay good because I'm writing that down I want to check them out myself uh, that's awesome I didn't know about that and you know it's good for me to know so that we can share it and of course now all of our audience knows about it so um oh. Uh, So it looks like you have a lot ahead of you. I mean, I was going to say what's next, but, you know, just from what you've shared, there is plenty of opportunity in your space, and it is exciting. We will have to keep track of that. Um, Do you have anything else you'd like to share with our audience? Sometimes uh, we ask them, we ask veterans, okay, what was um, the biggest mistake? And, you know, we learn from our mistakes uh, that you've made, you know, when you started your business. But you haven't even been in business long enough, and it just seems so successful. But if you want to share, we have a few more minutes on anything else we would just uh, love to hear uh okay it, yes go ahead yeah,
1: um i i think the the term fake it till you make it is um uh, ingenuous so don't live by it you know learn it and do it um i'd say be able to listen to your gut because it's it's right probably 95 percent of the time
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and be a good judgment of character um you know, desperate people do desperate things avoid them like the plague um, and and really um, your your work ethic is a testament to how much people can trust you
2: mm-hmm.
1: So bring that to the table um, every time you're you're in a meeting um, every time you're trying to deliver a project um, it's important
2: and and are those are part of the traits that you would consider. Uh, for that, uh, what you expressed earlier as the small circle of trust.
1: Absolutely. Um, and don't be afraid to kick people out of the circle of trust. Um, I think it's a one-strike-you're-out type deal.
2: hmm Yeah, that's wonderful. Michael, where can folks find you? Um, uh, on your website, another contact, LinkedIn?
1: So I, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on, uh, you know, we have uh, desert hyphen pirate.com is our website. Um, and, uh, I just started up on IMDB.com. Um, so IMDB is where all the, uh, entertainment professionals have a, a profile. So as we move forward, things will get posted on all of those. Um, to be blunt, I'm not a huge social media fan because, you know, it's all it is, is chatter and no one's really being social or connecting with one another in a meaningful way. But um, if you want to email me, I am happy to connect um, and be a real connection. Um, it doesn't matter who does.
2: And so, then what what email would uh, would we email you at?
1: Uh, Michael at desert-pirate.com.
2: Okay. Well, thank you for being on our show today, and thank you, audience. Uh, We will be back next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone.
0: You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.